It is an honor to be here tonight, and I really appreciate being able to uh, be with you. I was uh, here last year, and so perhaps they said, well, maybe he'll get it right this time. We'll give him one more chance. I ask that you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 19. In just a moment, we'll be looking at a very familiar story. Luke chapter 19. The year was 1947, and everywhere this person went to play baseball, he received jeers and boos. When he came to bat, the cat calls and disrespectful words were shouted at him. Because you see, it wasn't just anybody that was up to bat. It was number 42, Jackie Robinson, the first black professional baseball athlete. He played for the Brooklyn Dodgers and played second base, and typically they treated their, him a little bit better there. But on one day, while the game was going on, he made an error. So terrible was the error of the mind of the people that they began to throw bottles and half-eaten hot dogs out onto the playing field. Jackie Robinson stood at second base with his head down, humiliated, and that's when it happened. The shortstop by the name of Peary Reese walked over to Jackie, placed his arm around his shoulder and stood there looking at the crowd. As the story goes, it became as quiet as a graveyard. Soon, people began to clear the field. The game continued. And later on, Jackie Robinson would say that it was that arm around his shoulder that saved his career. But tonight we want to look at a story in Luke chapter 19 of a man that needed the arm of Jesus, really the salvation that he could offer. To Jesus, this man that was seen as the worst of society, Jesus treated with worth and value. Tonight we want to talk about Jesus who gave salvation to a tree-climbing millionaire by the name of Zacchaeus. Let's read what the Bible has to say in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was a short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. If I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of Abraham has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The setting for this story is found in the city of Jericho. 
This has to be at least the second Jericho, if not in case some people have suggested was the third Jericho. Because you may recall after God's people did what they did in marching around it and the, the city on that last day fell down, the walls did, and it was taken over, that God had them to burn that city by fire. And he made a statement in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34, that if anyone chose to rebuild this city, they would do so at the death of their firstborn and of their youngest as well. And so in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34, we read about a man who in fact did do that, who in fact did, Hillel his name was, rebuild that city. Some have thought that by this time, this would be the third Jericho. In terms of the setting for this story, it's one week before the crucifixion of our Lord. Jericho itself was seven miles from the Jordan River, 17 and a half miles from Jerusalem. It was a very important center for trade and lay on a road from Perea to Judea and Egypt. Jericho was 800 feet below sea level and had a climate that was very tropical and very hot. And interestingly enough, it received only a few inches of rain every year. Yet in Deuteronomy 34 verse 3, it's referred to as the city of palm trees. It was an area flourishing with date palms, banana trees, balsam, sycamores, and henna. You may recall that Joshua sent spies to examine this city back in Joshua chapter 2. Christ would pass through Jericho on many occasions. The place where he would be baptized in the Jordan River would have been there according to Matthew chapter 3. There was a mountain range nearby where probably our Lord was tested by Satan immediately after his baptism in Matthew chapter 4. You may recall also in Mark chapter 10 that outside of Jericho, Jesus met blind Bartimaeus and healed him on that occasion. And then when we think about Jericho, we think about the story of what we call the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, where that man is beaten up on that road from Jerusalem down to Jericho. With that idea in mind, I want us to think about four very interesting points about the life of Zacchaeus. First of all, we are introduced to Zacchaeus, the sinner. Verses 1 and 2 says that he was chief among the tax collectors and that he was a rich man. Because two trade routes converged at Jericho, it would have been an ideal place for the collection of taxes. In fact, King Herod had a palace here in Jericho. Zacchaeus was not only a publican, a tax collector, but he was in charge of all of them. He might have been seen as the superintendent of taxes or the commissioner of finance. What's ironic was that tax collectors were hired by the Roman government to take money from their own people. Now you think about that from the point of view of the Jewish thinking. Here was a man that was working and being paid by the enemy. And so, so detestable was Zacchaeus in the minds of the folks that he would have been hated by his own people. They would have disinherited him, his own family would have. 
He would not be even allowed into the synagogue or the temple because of the access that he had with the pagan Gentiles, the Roman people. He'd be seen as worse than a murderer among his own folks. There seems to be in the Bible an inference that tax collectors were known to not only work for the enemy, but also to take money from their own people and skim some off the top, if you know what I mean by that statement. Over in Luke chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, it says that publicans, tax collectors, came to be baptized by John the Baptist. And they asked the question, Master, what shall we do? In other words, what do we need to do to change? And through the mind of God, he told him, Zach, that is, don't take any more than that which is appointed you. The inference being that they were known for taking more than what they should be taking and keeping some for themselves. You may recall that Jesus spent a lot of time with tax collectors and those kinds of people. And in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, he calls Matthew to follow him as one of the disciples. And then he sits down with some of those other fellow tax collectors and begins to eat with them. And that's when the Pharisees come and ask the question to the other disciples. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? You see, they equated the two together. If you did this, then you were seen, you were known as a sinner. Remember the answer that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 9, verses 12 and 13? Those that are whole don't need a physician, but those that are sick. You go and learn what that means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus never sinned. Jesus did not condone sin. But he often met and ate with sinners with the hope of bringing them and attracting them to his way of life. Luke chapter 15 verse 1 talks about how that he drew near to the tax collectors and sinners that wanted to hear him because of the attraction that they had for him. So first of all, we think about Zacchaeus the sinner. But secondly, let's think about Zacchaeus the seeker. Because here the Bible tells us that in verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was. Somehow he had heard that Jesus was coming. Again, this is the beginning of the last week of his life. So you think about how important this must have been in the mind of Jesus for him to come to this place at that particular important time. The Bible tells us in verse 3 that he wanted to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was a short stature. Now let's think about that for a moment. These people must have heard that Jesus was in fact coming, and they may have even heard about what had happened less than 15 miles away, where Jesus had healed and brought back to life Lazarus there in Bethany. And so you can imagine if that's the case, that they are, are all there, and they may get there early, and they're on both sides of the road because here is the great healer. 
Here is the great man, Jesus. And they all know who Zacchaeus is, but they didn't give him a place there on the front lines to be able to see Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Sort of ironic that the one that they saw was the chief of sinners, they weren't even willing to, to make room for him so that he could see Jesus, so that he could be made better. And so that's sort of interesting. Notice it was because of his shortness that he couldn't see Jesus. You know, sometimes we have handicaps that don't allow us to do certain things. In Georgia, if you are under five feet tall or short, as the case may be, then that's seen as a handicap. I have a niece that is 4'10", and she has a handicap sticker and special accommodations to be able to drive her vehicle because she can't see too far over the, the wheel. This man wanted to see Jesus, but he wasn't able to do so. I wonder tonight, what are the reasons why people don't desire or don't, aren't able to see Jesus? Is it sometimes because of the crowd? Maybe it's the crowd that they're running with. Maybe it's the people that influences them to the point that they lose sight of the desire to know more about Jesus and His Word and His way. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good morals or corrupts good manners. Perhaps tonight there are people, maybe in this audience even, that don't desire to see Jesus because of their pride. We live in a world that suggests you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, that you don't rely on others because you can't depend on others. There's a lot of people today that's living in that way, just not willing to admit that there's need in their life, someone greater than themselves. Proverbs 16, 18 talks about how that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Satan certainly would want to hinder us from learning about Jesus. He'd love to tell those who are younger that you've got a whole life ahead of you to, to be able to sow your wild oats, to do all the things that you want to do. And then in later years of life, you can come back and change and you can finally get your life right with God. But the fact of the matter is the Bible doesn't give that idea. Remember now, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1, your Creator, in the days when? Of your youth. While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when you can say, I have no pleasure in them. Far too many people sow those wild oats, and that causes destruction, whether it be physically, in terms of things that happen to their brain or to their bodies, or even because of death because of the destructive decisions that they have made. Now the Bible suggests the idea that we need to call upon our Lord while we can. In Isaiah 55 verse 6, You seek the Lord while He may be found. You call upon Him while He is near. 
And so Zacchaeus could have gone back home. I mean, after all, these people didn't see him as a very in interesting person anyway. He was hated by the folks there. And so he could have easily thought, well, you know, maybe there'll be another time when I can see Jesus and, and I'll just go on back home. But instead, he climbs a mulberry tree, a sycamore tree. They grew in the Jordan Valley to considerable heights. They had low-lying branches gnarled branches that sometimes would be 30 to 40 feet tall. And so that's what he chose to do. Somebody said he went out on a limb to see Jesus. Tonight, are we the tree that can bring people to Jesus? Or are we living a life in such a way so that folks through us can learn to be able to see and know more about our Lord. I thought about the irony of this. Here was a man that wanted to see the Son of God. So he climbed a tree that originally had been created by God the Father. It grew from a seed so that now this sinner could see Jesus, the Son of God. Isn't that interesting? Are we that tree to allow others, to bring others to know more about Jesus and His ways? And so we have Zacchaeus the sinner. We have Zacchaeus the seeker. But thirdly, we have Zacchaeus the salt. Notice what it says there in verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Can you imagine Jesus walking into this town? And can't you imagine all the dignitaries right up front? Those Pharisees with their fancy robes and all the things that go along with it. And maybe the mayor of the town and all the other folks because they're hoping that Jesus will notice them, that he'll maybe say something about them. If that were the case, I can imagine that he didn't even give them the time of day. But he walked past them and then he looked up in the tree, the tree made by his father, and he called them by name. Tonight, does Jesus know your name? Sure He does. He knows everything about you. He knows the numbers of the hairs on your head. He knows everything about you. And on this occasion, out of this whole town, He picked what they deemed was the worst sinner in all the world for Him to spend time with. Here's the only place in Scripture where Jesus invited Himself into someone else's home. Now there's other stories where He is invited into someone's home. Mary and Martha, Simon, other places. But here's the only place where Jesus invited Himself. And notice that there was a sense of urgency. Make haste. Hurry and get down out of that tree. And come down because today, not just someday, today I must stay at your house. So verse 6, he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. There was a sense of urgency. 
There was not time for delay. There was time for him to listen to what the master had to say because he had just wanted to see him. He had, he had stood there with the hope that he might get a glimpse of this Savior that, that they had talked about. But now he's going to have a one-on-one -on -one visitation with him in his own home. And so the sinner, perceived by the people, became the seeker, and he became the salt. Nowhere in the reading of God's Word is there the idea, someday you need to become a child of God. There's always that emphasis on once you have the knowledge, you act upon it. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And so we have that great story how that this man in all of this town of Jericho is the one that gets to spend time with Jesus. Tonight, if our Lord was here, physically present, and at the end of services, He came up to you and He said, I want to go home with you tonight. What would your thinking be? What would your thoughts be? Somebody put it in the form of a poem. If Jesus came to, to your house to spend a day or two, if He came unexpectedly, I wonder, what would you do? Oh, I know you'd give Him your nicest room, this honored guest, and all the food that you'd serve to Him would be the very best. And you keep assuring Him you're glad to have Him there, that serving Him in your home is a joy beyond compare. But when you saw Him coming, would you meet Him at the door with arms outstretched to welcome in your heavenly visitor? Or would you have to go and change your clothes before you let Him in? Or hide some magazines and put the Bible out where it had been? Would you turn off the TV and hope He had not heard and wish that you had not uttered that loud and hasty word? Would you hide your worldly music and put some hymn books out? Could you just let Jesus walk right in or would you rush about? And I wonder if the Savior spent a day or two with you, would you go right on doing the things that you always do? Would you right, go right on saying the things that you always say? Would you take Jesus with you everywhere you'd plan to go? Or would you maybe change your plans for just a day or so? Would you be glad to have Him meet your closest friends? Or would you hope that they'd stay away till this visit ends? Would you be glad to have Him stay forever and on and on? Or would you sigh with great relief when at last He was gone? It might be interesting to know the things that you would do if Jesus Christ in person came to spend some time with you. Notice in verse 7 that little word that begins that verse. But... In contrast to what our Lord has said to Zacchaeus and the actions that he has performed in getting out of the tree, taking Jesus to his home, no doubt probably a very luxurious home, and spending time with him, notice the reaction by the people. But when they saw it, 
They all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Now think about this. If Zacchaeus was really as bad as they said he was, who better for Jesus to go and spend time with than the worst person in their whole town? I mean, if anybody could change him, couldn't it be Jesus? And yet they complained. They murmured. They were upset at our Lord because He had chosen to go spend time with the worst person in their town. Duh. Doesn't that make sense? And yet that's exactly the way that they felt about it. So we've talked about the sinner who became the seeker climbing into a tree, who becomes the salt, and now he becomes Zacchaeus the saved. Notice what the Bible says there in verse 8. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. If I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Can you imagine the transformation that takes place here in this short period of time? The person that becomes the hated now becomes the one that is willing to give his life to serve Jesus. Half of everything I own, I'm going to give to the poor. But then there was also that repentance. If he had stolen from others, if he had defrauded others, if he had skimmed off the top and taken money that really wasn't theirs, he said, I'm going to give four times the amount back to them. In other words, if, if he had stolen $100 from David, he was going to give David $400. The Old Testament talked about this in Exodus chapter 22, verse 1. If you stole a sheep, you gave back four. If you stole an oxen, you gave back five. He was doing what the Scriptures suggested him doing. But what was the point? Christianity cost. There was not only going to have to be a change of thinking, but there was also going to have to be reflected in a change of action. And so he was willing to do that. Notice also that verse 8 says that Zacchaeus is standing when he speaks to Jesus. Before he had been hiding in a tree. Now he's standing in the presence of Jesus. What's the point? Christianity elevates people. It brings them to a higher plane, spiritually speaking. He wasn't afraid of the other people because he was standing in the presence of greatness, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. And that caused him to look at his life and to see the things that he needed to change. Christianity has a way of doing that, of making a difference in the lives of people. Many of you know the name Jerry Jenkins, who was a longtime evangelist 
for the Roebuck Parkway congregation there in Birmingham. Many of you know their sons, Dale and Jeff, who right now are in the Honduras uh, trying to make a difference in the lives of people. Dale told me this story. He said that many Saturdays when you know, kids would typically be sleeping in or watching cartoons, he said, we'd be going out with Dad to knock on doors there in Birmingham to try to open up opportunities to study the Bible. And many Saturdays, even though we may not really enjoyed it too much, that's exactly what we were doing. He said their dad came upon a Korean War veteran. He had lost half a leg in the battles and also had a stub for an arm. He was on disability. He was handicapped. Brother Jenkins didn't see that. He saw a soul, a soul that needed to be saved. And so, talking to someone that he had never met before, he offered the opportunity to study the Bible with him. This man had a bar down in the bottom of his house, and he would tell that a lot of times his friends would come over on the weekends and, you know, they would booze it up. And so he said, I've got a bar down here. Why don't, if we're going to study, why don't we just study there? So that's exactly what they did. They studied there at the bar down in the basement. And over a period of time, the man saw the errors of his way and became a New Testament Christian. And the, Bible, uh, the story doesn't end there because it tells us that uh, Dale did that when the fellow came up out of the water, he said, Brother Jerry, it wasn't anything. Now, this was back in the 80s. So you can imagine the numbers that I'm about to give you will be a whole lot more now. But he said, it wasn't anything on the weekend for me and my friends to booze it up and spend $300 every weekend. If I can do that for Satan, I can give that to God. And so he would do that. A whole lot of money back in those days. And this transformed child of God with a body that was less than complete began to live that life of Christ, that transformation because of who Jesus was and because of His sins being forgiven. And He was able to study with convert some of those friends of His that we had talked about earlier. Christianity elevates us. Puts us on a different plane, a different level. Notice what Jesus said whenever he had talked about that he was going to give half of what he had to the poor and also pay back anybody that he had wronged. Notice what verse 9 says Today, salvation has come to this house. It was immediate. Salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. Now think about that phrase, son of Abraham. That was worn by the, the, the people in the Jewish race that wanted to go back to Abraham. I mean, that's important to be able to have the lineage of the son of Abraham. They saw him as a disinherited person, as a sinner. And yet Jesus, the son of God, said, you're a son of Abraham. Today, you and I, by obedience to Christ, can become a son and child of God 
Galatians 3, verses 26 and 27, you're all the children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. They saw Him as a sinner. They saw Him as one not even worthy to be in the temple or in the synagogue worship on Saturdays. And yet Jesus, the Son of God, said, here's the Son of, here's the son of Abraham. What are the lessons learned from this song and story? We sing that, you know, he was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, that is Zacchaeus. What can we learn from this great story? First of all, we need to find somebody to put our arms around. Somebody that we can be a role model for. Somebody that we can try to build up. Somebody that may be looked upon as being picked on. Bullying does take place, sadly, in schools. We just didn't have names for it back in our days. But now you do. But how important it is for us to look for those people that need a, an arm around them. That just need someone to befriend them. Perhaps it's an older person that just needs to know that people care. When young people talk to older folks, their faces just radiate because someone thought enough to spend time with them. It doesn't take long to be able to look around and see those who are lonely, those who are hurting, those who are down on their luck. And how important it is for us to show the love of Christ by extending compassion to those people who are in need, just like Zacchaeus was. A couple of years ago, we had three children, two brothers and their sister. And on this particular occasion, two, three children were coming to the home for the first time. Now, whenever they come from chaos, which is often their, their, their life, to a structured, hopefully, sanctuary where they can be made better, and be safe, a safe harbor for them. It takes a while to get adjusted to that. And so you can sort of see it in their eyes. They were a little uncertain. The dog on campus, they were a little concerned about it, even though he was just going to wag, wag his tail against them, and that was it, and probably lick them if, if he got the chance. But after a while, they began to use some of our bicycles. And this girl, Amelia, they had the two brothers, started riding the bicycles with them. And they began to ride the loop there in the middle of the campus. And you could just sort of see that they relaxed and began to talk. And she began to talk to them. And as they were riding the loop, I called her over and I said, Amelia, thank you so much for showing care and concern and making them feel more comfortable. David, she looked at me and said, Mr. Don, that's what I'm here for. We need to look for the people that we can be of help to and in the name of Christ do so. Secondly, we should never allow handicaps to keep us from coming to Jesus. There's always folks in worse shape than ours. There may be some people in this audience tonight that took pain medicine that, uh, that did without other things. You may be not even eaten because otherwise you wouldn't be able to be here. 
lot of times people want to serve Christ but just don't have the opportunity and perhaps they're watching online even now but he didn't allow his shortness to interfere with the desire of being able to see and be around Jesus I heard recently of a fellow that had back surgery and and Vance Hutton who many of you know was studying the Bible with Jim Moody and soon after his back surgery he said, I want to be baptized. And they said, Mr. Jim, are you sure? Because, you know, you've got your back. We're going to have to sort of bend you over. And he said, I want to go through it. And so they baptized him. And when, as soon as he came out of the water, Vance said that Mr. Brother Jim said, I feel better already. Thirdly, from this story, we need to learn that we never need to judge others unworthy of hearing the gospel. That's what they basically did. He's a sinner. Why would you go to his house? Why would you waste your time with this man a sinner? No matter how a person looks, how much money they have or don't have, even how they dress, everyone has a soul given to them by God, precious to him, and we need to try to help them. Jesus died for all. He ate with sinners. There's room in the kingdom for anyone who chooses to do His will. And then finally from the story, we need to learn that we should rejoice when others come to their spiritual senses. The Bible talks about how that angels in heaven are so excited and rejoice when a sinner repents and comes back home or becomes a child of God. Brother Nelson, I'd like to think that this story ended with one more verse. And that was that the people of Jericho saw the change in the life of Zacchaeus and they glorified God because of it. But it doesn't say that. That's not there. We have to just wonder what happened. What difference did the life of, Jer did life of Zacchaeus make in Jericho after he became a son of Abraham? After he became a child of God? It doesn't tell us. But we should always rejoice when folks come to their spiritual senses. We're all going to fall. We're all going to need encouragement. Romans 12 verse 15 still says, Rejoice with them that do rejoice and, not or, and weep with them that weep. We don't have a choice in the matter. We're there when they're on the mountaintops. We also have to be there when they're in the valleys. And we just wonder what happened in terms of the people there. What a beautiful story about salvation. We know that on this occasion that Jesus could save without the benefit of baptism. We know that today we live in a time in which a person must believe in Jesus with all their heart, turn from their sins, confess Jesus as God's Son, and then act upon that by being immersed for the forgiveness of sins. Galatians 3, 26 and 27, Acts 2, 38, Mark 16, and so many other verses. But how wonderful it is that on this occasion we have this wonderful transformation from a man that was seen as a sinner let me tell you just a little bit about the children's home. We're grateful for your continued support. Uh, currently, we have nine children. We've had some 12 that have gone home. 
in the last period of time, which is always a good thing when they get to go back home. Uh, our children range in ages from 8 to 18. One just graduated from high school, which for us may be normal, but among, among foster care children, only 48% of them ever graduate from high school. Only about 5% ever go to another higher level of learning. And of that number, only about 3% actually graduate from college. And so we have a young man that just graduated from Rogers, and he is now attending Shoals uh, School there. And we're hoping that he will continue. He wants to be a cook, a culinary art, artist, if you will, in the, the realm of cooking. And so we hope that he can continue to do that and that he can continue to grow. This past Saturday, we had a really big event, our ride to the home. It was our sixth year to do so. And we had all kinds of people come to our children's home there on campus for barbecue and hamburgers and hot dogs and ham and beans. Among them was about 100 motorcycles and those who rode them. <laughs> I looked out at the, at the uh, campus one time and I thought, Boy, the liability on this home went up about three times in the last couple of hours with all these motorcycles. But uh, we had about 300 people there and uh, had a lot of fun and enjoyed it greatly. And Life Flight, the helicopter, flew into our campus and people got to sit in it and have fun doing that. And uh, Columbus Coker, who helped start the home, came in on a Barney sidecar at the age of 95. I thought that was pretty interesting. On the back, I brought some uh, updated birthday lists of our children. Some of you have been kind to write them on their birthdays. Sometimes their birthdays haven't been very good days. And so when sometimes somebody chooses to write them a card and send it to them to say, I'm thinking about you on your birthday, that's really, really important. And so they're there on the right. But we would love to have you come and visit us anytime that you can. And we appreciate it. Go to our website, NACCH.com. And you can see a three-minute video of our campus and the different things that are there. And again, we thank you so much for your continued help, your continued support, and most of all, your prayers. Take that list and pray for them and pray for our, our, our staff as well. Thank you so much for your kind attention.